were part of a long long line of practitioners, seekers. Countless men and women over the centuries have experienced dukkha, experienced suffering, and at some point uh, recognize the fallacy of just blaming somebody else. Or even blaming ourselves as some sort of fixed position that just turns into a self hatred. But at some point I've uh, recognized, hmm, what's, what's going on here? Is this struggle something to do with how I'm relating to my life? And uh, countless beings, just like uh, you and me, have uh, been motivated and made that intention to want to understand, to want to discover, realize something truly trustworthy, truly fulfilling, truly peaceful. And uh, all these countless awakened ones uh, before us, there have been countless awakened ones before us. And if we're to believe the Buddha, and I don't see why he would be lying, that is our destiny, is to wake up. Because this imagining that we're this or that we're that, that keeps dissolving on us so that we seek certainty in some other condition, some other feeling, some other circumstance, only to be disappointed, that we too are, are, are destined, once there's that real intention to inquire, to start to look into things that inexorably, inevitably, we will wake up to the true, unchanging, peaceful nature that's already, already here, but which we overlook when we're so busy getting somewhere, so busy getting rid of something. Just like a, it's like one great sage, Nisargadatta said, it's just like if there's a big tanker ship full of cotton, one little spark, little by little by little by little, smoldering, burning through what just seemed like so much woolly stuff. It's gone. There's spacious clarity. The countless beings like uh, before us have also, just like we are, faced all kinds of challenges, difficulties. And to just really encourage us not to hate it. Like our Chinese master, the one who taught us about uh, Kuan Yin, uh, he says, I like suffering. He does. He, it's an opportunity to open to, turn to, to, to be more deeply real and able to feel with the circumstance of all his fellow living beings. And then when we you know, remember the, the Buddha reminding us that this, these challenges, these difficulties, uh, you know, rather than to be hated, to be turned to, they're noble, ennobling. 
That's there's quite we have to be very patient, quite a gradual changing of our worldview. Reminds me of, uh, of the story of um, one of the great disciples of the Buddha at the time of the Buddha. Uh, he was actually blind when this particular, as far as I know, incident happened, the Venerable Anuruddha. But he was uh, a tough cookie. The guy worked. He was a tough, tough worker. He was accomplished. You know, we're mindful a bit and then bump into walls and then start again. But, you know, this guy got into mindfulness in practice. And he was, he was known for being so composed that uh, these other, as we were saying, one of the results sometimes of real skill at samadhi is this knowledge and vision. He, it, the, the power of this unification opened up the various other energetic centers in his body so that he could see with an inner eye. He was foremost in, in the sangha of uh, monastic practitioners. He was foremost with this divine eye. He could see things from a distance what others couldn't see. He went one day to the foremost uh, d- uh, disciple of wisdom, uh, the Buddha's right-hand disciple, Venerable Sariputra. Anuruddha went to Sariputra and he said something like this, Venerable, with my divine eye, I can see clearly the 10,000 worlds. Foremost in the song. My mindfulness is unshaken. My inner energies doesn't waver. My composure is, my samadhi is steady. But I still suffer. And, uh, the Venerable Sariputra replied, he said, remember Anuruddha, this thought that you, with the divine eye, you see the 10,000 worlds is connected to your conceit. That word, to, to the way that you compare yourself to your conceit. That your mindfulness is unshakable, your energy is unwavering, your, your samadhi is like a rock, steadfast, that is connected with your restlessness. Continually doing it, doing it. He did it well. And he said, this thought about, but I still suffer, is connected to your anxiety. He said, Anuruddha, Don't concern yourself with those qualities. Rather, turn your mind to the deathless element. Turn your mind to that dimension, that element which is not coming, not going. Anuruddha took that uh, advice to heart and it wasn't long after that that he was, was fully awake and freed. But even someone who was so, with his power of will, capable, it's important for us to consider. Imagine being able, it's enough to deal with what we can see with these eyes. Imagine being able to see the unseen worlds as well. 
all that complexity, so much stuff to do. And mindfully, he didn't waver. All this attention still holding to the conditions. His samadhi, rock-like, he could hold this quality of steadiness and composure. But he still suffered. Because there still was not that recognition that was looking in the wrong place. It's like trying to polish a brick, as they say in Zen, polish a brick to get a mirror. You can polish a brick for a long time and you won't get a mirror. What he was doing was, was good, it was wonderful stuff, but there still wasn't the recognition of, of conditions are endless. Always something else, always something else, always something else. Or, or the image the, the, the Buddha gave in another teach point is like cooking sand with the hope of having a savory meal. One can keep squeezing to get more and more subtle, more seeing more and more different things, but because of the nature of conditions, which is what? Just like this very condition right here of the evening talk. The fans gently turning, the sounds resonating, mixed with whatever thoughts or impressions we might be having, and the feeling tones of liking and not liking. Where could there be finality, completion, arriving, true peacefulness, when everything's still shifting, becoming otherwise? looking for finality, completion, certainty, as Ajahn Chah would say, where there isn't certainty, things keep shifting. Turn your mind to the deathless. What? Turn your mind to that which is not coming, not going. Sariputra was not asking Anuruddha to do a big change because Anuruddha had already had some experience. He already had some recognition of deep peace. But he had forgotten. It's a slight shift. Of, for example, we can notice the, the, the forms in the room and that's where attention tends to locate itself. Different forms. We can, and then notice the way perception fixes oh, male or, or female or not sure and old and young and I like, or I, I don't like, or I'm drawn to, or I'm afraid. I know this one, I don't know that one. So we can be so fixed on the forms, but do we notice that our attention be a little more reflective? That all these forms which we came in and go out could not operate if it wasn't for the space boundless space. Can we also notice when we came into the room, out of the room, happy in the room, unhappy in the room, was the space disturbed? It's just an analogy, but just to be, to let one's attention start to notice the space around the forms. Similar to sounds and thoughts. We so focused on the forms, the principles, the thoughts. So I don't know where he's going with this one. He's getting a bit lost there. So he pulls it back around because <laughs> I don't know how long we're going to be sitting here. I hear in Thailand they go, you know, they sit up all night sometimes. I hope he's not going to pull one of those stunts on us. But we, you know, we get lost in the forms. And we like it or don't like it. But similar as we did with the physical forms, 
What if we just allow our vision, our vipassana, our looking into, to notice the spaces around the sounds, the silence around the sounds. Give so much importance to the sounds. You're getting a radio interview sometimes, I can't stand silences. Just edit that out, edit that out, and Dharma practitioners love the spaces. Notice every sound, every thought, which you, whether you like it or don't like it, arises and dissolves back into this unmoving ground of listening silence. What happens if we start to notice the, the silences, where all the sounds return? or also the spaciousness. Or as it has been said, just as space is to form and silence is to sound, so is awareness to all phenomena. Just as space is to form, the so focused on the forms, but realizing these forms are happening within this spa- empty spaciousness. The forms appear, dissolve, appear, dissolve. The sounds appear, dissolve within this living silence. As space is to form and silence is to sound, so is awareness to all phenomena. <coughs> can be so obsessed, enraptured, fixated on the form of my life is going, it's just, it started out okay, just not going, running through a wall, it's the same old wall, I knew I was going to hit that wall, I thought maybe Kitty's on to Nisric. <sighs> but can we hear that just as it is? And we notice the spaciousness, the silence, the awareness that's happening within. Because Anuruddha was a good practitioner and all that work he did was not wasted. But when he just turned that attention to the nature of conditions and saw that every sound, every form, all these amazing worlds he could see kept arising and dissolving in this unmoving ground. The first night I... I quoted from the, the, the Buddha about this, in the midst of all conditions, the Buddha said, is this luminous heart? This peaceful heart that we overlook. Because we're so focused on what we like, what we don't like, getting something that keeps eluding us, get rid of something which keeps enslaving us. The, the, more of the quote was Panyutarasabedama, wisdom overcomes all these circumstances. Vimutisarasabedama, in the midst, the true essence of each moment, just like this one right here, is Vimuti, spacious, unbounded freedom. The next line, Amato Kadasabedama. Merging in the deathless, all coming together, rooted in that which never dies, are all things. What is that? There's 10, 25, 96, and then all the beings and the 10,000 worlds, and there's this practice and, and that practice, and I was feeling good and not good and there's so many different things. Where do all these different things merge, come together? 
in Amato Gadasa Vidama. The Buddha said, Amata means the undying, Mata is death. Amata, Amato Gadasa Vidama. All things come together. Every thingness disappears and merges in the deathless. Just an analogy, but just get, get a feeling when it, it's like a little bit like the, the sea. Again, we can be focused on the surface. When Tanisha and I take a holiday in South Africa, oftentimes we go to the sea. We live up in the mountains in a wilderness, and sometimes it's spectacular up there, but sometimes it's stressful and all the challenges of doing what we do. And sometimes we go on a, and Tanisha says, let's go on a holiday. And she loves the sea. And so I like doing what Tanisha likes to do. So we... <laughs> so we, we drive down to the sea. Now, you know, this is the Indian Ocean. And so we go to this, this place uh, north of Durban, and it was, uh, I think, in Shloti or in Plunga, I don't know which one it was. And, uh, you know, and so we're going to go down to the beach, and I mean, there's some pretty big waves coming in. Um, and, you know, she's a bit shy, but after all, <laughs> don't worry, Tanisha, I'll go first. <laughs> And I mean, there's some big waves. And so I went out there, you know, because then I would go in and then she would come, naturally. So I went out there and this big wave came, and I mean, I got crunched. I thought, I really thought my neck had been broken. And, but, you know, I imagined to stagger myself back up, go back up the beach, hadn't even realized it had ripped my swimming suit off. <laughs> So one notices the big waves and the surfing waves. There's surfers there. They're awesome. And then the beautiful little ripples. And then the ones that are safer that we then found a place that was protected. And so one notices the surface and gives all those names. But, but where do all the waves merge? You know, we give them different names. But actually, it's, it's all water. If we look a little deeper, we see that these different... Waves merge in the depth. The ground, similar with with the trees. We have the trees, oh, the birches, aren't they elegant? I mean, yeah, the birches, they're so beautiful. And the sturdy oak trees and the amazing evergreen trees, and we notice the different ones. Ones we like, ones we don't like, ones that, hmm, that was not so pretty. Whoa, that's awesome, majestic. Where do they all merge? All the branches, all the leaves go back to the ground. So we go down into the ground. We can't differentiate. Without being rooted in the ground, they're not a tree anymore. They're, they're dead. It goes back. Consciousness, when it's swept out unconsciously, tinged by delusion, misunderstanding, so focused on objectification, powered by this relationship with thinking, all the different 10,000 things. And then we tend to locate ourselves through identification in this body, this mood, this problem. Where does it all merge? All these things, all these moments are rooted, grounded, merge in the awareness right now. Each sound rises, dissolves, each thought. One's holding, holding, holding to a condition, wanting that to be the place of stability, we lose touch with the depth, with the ground, with that formless, 
heart where everything returns. The Buddha compared our heart, our nature that we overlook. I'm mentioning this just so we won't we at least give ourselves a chance, even in the midst of the craziness. The truth is always here. We can just let ourselves sense the spaciousness it's all happening in. The Buddha compared our hearts like a sky. One of my f- favorite, from the Dhammapada, favorite quotes of the Buddha is, uh, there are no footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. We're always looking out there for the real wise one, the real thing. There are no footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. Worldly beings delight in papancha, in this complexity. Papancha is the word the Buddha used for conceptual proliferation. Just thinking, thinking, creating all sorts of bits and pieces and comparing them and being deluded by them. No footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. Worldly beings delight in papancha. Buddhas delight in the ending of that. Buddhas delight in nipapancha, non-proliferation. In the next stanza, just starting like the last one, there are no footprints in the sky because it's empty. Whatever impression dissolves, no footprints in the sky. You won't find the sage out there. We find the sage right here. The next line is, there are no eternal conditioned things. Everything is, in other words, changing. The the Pali is Sankara Sasatanati. Sankara, Sankara, every compounded thing is not eternal. This retreat begins, it ends. We're born, this body, it dies. A day dawns, it subsides. A thought begins and ends. There are no eternal conditioned things Buddhas never waver. The last line is, Buddhas never waver. All this suffering and stress, when the, when the, when the Buddha reduces it, he, he, he brings it down to this papancha. It's a subtle part of the practice, but this way, our relationship to our thoughts, which seems so innocent, but even making an assumption about one thought, or a little simple thought, oh, this is all happening to me. You have a me, you get a you. Or this, you got a that. A thing, there it is. As soon as it shifts and changes, how do you account for that? You've got to have time. You've got to bring time in. Avijapatya Sankara, the Buddha talked about, in this ground of not seeing clearly, we create patterns and we, we objectify them. It's, it's real. And as soon as you got a thing, then you got someone knowing the thing. You got consciousness and the thing, subject and object, and then it, it multiplies, 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 and then we, 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 we identify with some part. That's me. Then because it changes, we, 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 we get shaken. And so we, we try to find somewhere else, some other pleasant feeling, or, which is natural. But we keep suffering. Looking for certainty in that which is not certain. Ajahn Chah, in his very earthy way, he, he said it's, it's just like going up to a, a duck and saying, look, why aren't you a chicken? Look, quack, quack, quack is all right, but 
cock-a-doodle-doo, you could wake up a whole retreat. <laughs> you could be a condition for enlightening all these beings. Come on, try it. You can do it. Cockle. We wanting asking a duck why it's not a chicken. Yet we want feelings to not change. We want circumstances, things to be mine. Ajahn, you know, our body, Ajahn Chah would say, did your body ask you permission to get a headache? It followed its own laws. Did it say, Kitty Sauer, do you mind? I'm getting ready to have typhoid now and you're going to be devastated for the next 10 years. Did not ask me. Just, it's, we call it me and mine, but actually it belongs to Dharma. But with our thinking, habitual perception thinking mechanism, we create the sense of patterns that parade around as facts. But it's not true. They're actually empty. The image the Buddha gave was like if you go to the Ganges and look, you see the bubbles floating down the river. You can look at them. But if you investigate them, you will see they were empty, void of a separate entity, void of self. But notice what we can do with with bubbles. As our dear Chinese master would uh, tell us, you see this bubble in its beautiful colors and then the mind says, yes, there it is, it is, bubbles are. What do you know? They aren't. They don't exist. They're empty. They don't exist. Insubstantial. There's a bubble again. Is. Pop. Isn't. Arguing about light. Is it a wave? Is it a particle? Language so wants to capture is, isn't. When there is the, with wisdom, when our wisdom overcomes, sees through, it reveals that these conditions are becoming otherwise. Every instant. Words can't capture it. That's why the Buddha said, this Dharma cannot be described. We can point to it, but we can't capture it. Words fall silent. This this proliferation that the Buddha gave us a practice of, of learning to little by little also empty uh, the way we attach to our views and thoughts, especially the ones we have about ourselves and each other. In a very, very helpful way we, we, we were taught in the monastery is to just have our ordinary thoughts, a little thought. It's evening. Just hear the thought, slow it down. Rather than thinking to solve something and decide what you're going to do with your life, we get caught up in it. A simple thought, so that thought can be suffused with just investigation. It is evening. It is evening. Hear the space before the thought, that little gap. Even if you don't think you have any gaps, there's little gaps. Right before the thought, what's called the head of a thought. And then the thought, it is evening, and then it dissolves back into this, like the wave, the thought's like the wave going back to this ground where all things merge, this depth. Start to notice the bubble-like nature Explore that gap. Notice how much we, we depend. If it's difficult, we depend. Because wanting to, people were talking in the interviews about the endless commentaries and we're telling stories and we're the movie stars and doing this and, and that and at the center and all these dramas. And can we hear all the dramas as changing? As birds flying through the sky as guests that are coming and going. 
get a feeling for that host, that resting place, that deathless element that's not coming and going. And to actually practice in little simple ways, letting a thought end. Noticing that place where the, the bubble, the thought, merges back in the silence. It's what our teacher called mind the gap. I don't know if you know London, but you know, you, the gap is a scary place in the underway system. Mind the gap. You might f- fall in there. And you know, silences in radio shows, uh, you just got to fill them up. Meditators love the gap. We dive into the gap. Practicing letting each thought die. Noticing that little silence. That actually when we're not being fooled by the prism of thought, all the sights, the sounds, the sensations merge. Just touching the heart. Actually things merge all the time. The actuality is non-dual. It's such. We lose touch with that when we're so mesmerized by the thought, I like, I don't like, it's me and you. Minding the gap, practicing, letting ourselves rest for moments, and then extending that, getting the feeling of the knowing eye where all the complexity merges, that ground of the deathless. I remember the, the first time this it was so unexpected. I was definitely was not an Anaruta. I did not have unshakable mindfulness. I'd be bouncing into trees, stubbing my toes on arms round. But I had a little bit of facility with samadhi, and I was a bit like a snapping turtle. I'd, I'd clamp on to that smooth, calm, and yes, and I just. I wanted that sand to turn into a blazing forever, blow all the suffering away, enlightenment. <laughs> so I would want that state still, as they would say, wrong view. You know, I did not, wasn't really seeing clearly, but at a certain point it was pointed out to me. Really, the Buddha's teachings were there. I just wasn't getting it. But the great uh, sage Sri Nisargadatta, I don't know any of you have read his book, I Am That. He didn't write it, but his hundred of his conversations were recorded. And that principle which the Buddha was talking about, he put it in a way that really helped me. He just said, just come back to the thought, I am. Not as a philosophical thing. As a thought that you let dissolve into the silence. And it's reminding you to just be the most natural thing in the world. Just go back to the presence. So I just let that little thought, I am, let it dissolve. And got a feeling for the background. It was my first real, I was so focused on getting all the conditions right. So focused on the sense of letting everything just return to just simplicity, each I am dissolving. Then that develop into minding the gap, letting each thought, taking a simple thought, and even getting a little more complicated. I'm doing well. Arises, dissolves. I'm doing terrible, I'm never going to get there. Arises and dissolves. Started to get that feeling resting in. Then it was like the the courage arose of just inviting all the scary thoughts, all the wonderful thoughts, and just having them parade. And then wondering, why am I so excited by this, terrified by that? Getting perspective on this papancha. Getting perspective on what's called the cognitive faculty. 
and then learning how to not grip it, not push it away, resting in that place where everything keeps returning. In those peaceful moments, part of me wondered, oh dear, that's, I've done it, yippee. It's a taste, one keeps going. All sorts of things happen. It wasn't long after that, I had uh, diarrhea for six months, then I started urinating blood, and I actually got typhoid. And then, even though I had peaceful, then other obstacles came. And uh, so I'm just encouraging us to be really, really patient. Even after that, that, that breakthrough, after I got so sick, they were worried, oh gosh, we, the foreigner might die on us here. So they, they, they sent me uh, closer to Ajahn Chah's uh, monastery. I was out in one of the branch monasteries. And then I just, uh, all this old obsession with competition came up. And uh, someone asked, oh, can competition ever be skillful? I don't want to say competition's all bad. But when you're obsessed with always comparing and being better and worse, that's called papancha. It never ends. The good part about it is is we can learn energy. We can learn staying with, so our effort can be purified. But I hadn't seen that at the time when I was just ill, still had the diarrhea, I'd lost probably 40 pounds. Mind just filled, as I was saying the other day, with just obsession with food, obsession with lust. Once a week we would do an all-night sitting. And, you know, I would determine I'm going to sit through the night, break through. And, you know, after, you know, 46 minutes or whatever, you know, you find yourself... And you look up the line and just a row of bald heads. <laughs> and they were nodding too. And I would think, oh, I'm, I'm not nodding. And then five minutes later, somebody taps you and you're nodding and, someone, and they say, how's your samadhi, Kitty Sorrow? <laughs> you even have some conflict in monasteries, let me tell you. And I think, I think I'll tell you how my samadhi is. You know, you, you think, oh... Better not do that. And so your mind's filled with resentment and lust and aversion and your samadhi is in the pits. <laughs> then you look down the line. More bald heads. <laughs> just another bald head. And you know, when you want to be the champion of the universe and you're just in the line of bald heads. <laughs> so I really got depressed. And... Uh, I really, you know, I used to, used to have a sense of humor, but I tell you what, my sense of humor, I really believed I would never, ever laugh again. And so, you know, I told the Western abbot, I said, I'm, I'm in trouble here. You know, can you help me talk to Ajahn Chah? And he was, um, this guy uh, was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam spoke fluent Laotian, amazing in Thai, and so he could, he could translate. He's a wonderful, wonderful monk. So he, he, he knew I was working hard, so he took me over to see Ajahn Chah. And um, all the monks at the main monastery had gone to the chanting, but Ajahn Chah knew we were going to talk. So we were sitting, his kuti was on stilts, his hut, but we were in the, the spacious area underneath the hut. The stilts were with oily rags so that the, or little moats of water so that the hordes of termites wouldn't eat, eat the hut. So Ajahn Chah was waiting in his uh, wicker chair and we went on the floor and bowed and he said, Binyang, which is like, well, what is it? And, and he's, he's round and he's, he's funny. And I just said, oh, Ajahn Chah, I'm in a mess. You know, I'm just filled with lust. Uh, all I can think about is food as well. No samadhi. And I really, you know, it feels, everything's so dark. I really feel like I'll never laugh again. And he, um, 
then he asked me about my past, so I talked about all the wrestling and the championships and the striving, and he said, hmm. And then, and meanwhile, Pabakro is, is uh, translating, and he turns and says, well, you know, you remind me of a, a baby squirrel. <laughs> so Pabakro says, he says you remind him of a baby squirrel. <laughs> I said, I don't know where this one's going, but... Okay, and he said, this baby squirrel, it sees its mother run up trees, jump on branches, do all these amazing sorts of things. And the baby squirrel said, oh, right, I'm going to do that. And so this baby squirrel runs up the tree, jumps on a branch, and dog. It fell, falls off the word in Thai. Forgive my pronunciation, but it's dog. It's, and it drops down and hits the ground and starts, and, uh, starts crying, this baby squirrel. And the mom says... Son, you got to go to school. Don't worry. Go to go off to kindergarten. You'll learn some things. And so, meanwhile, you know, Pabakro is explaining all this to me. So, anyway, this baby squirrel goes off to school, and you can imagine, you know, he he learns a few tricks and goes up the tree and dog falls down, starts crying. And I'm sitting under Ajahn Chah. He's in the chair, and when dog, his eyes kind of like go in circles. And this this baby squirrel, first grade, second grade, uh, you know, he went to high school. Dog, dog, dog. Sometime around college, he had this thing in getting a PhD. I started rolling on his floor. I got into hysterical laughter. I was just dying. And meanwhile, he's just still talking, and Babakro is whispering in my ear about this, uh, how it's still learning and studying and does more tricks and falls on. And then finally, I get up, and and then. Uh, compose myself and he looks and then he says you know and one day he said that squirrel could do every single thing its mother could do so you know from the crown of my head down through every cell in the body I knew just be patient just okay you fall down you get up you fall down you get up, that's the way it goes. Practice. He could see, that's our destiny. I'm basking in that blessing. And then he says, but you know, you also remind me of a donkey. <laughs> and I'm thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let's go back here. He says, you remind him of a donkey. And I said, oh my goodness. And he said, oh, this is not any old donkey. It's a very clever donkey. (laughs) This donkey could hear, because in Thailand, the music in the forest is awesome. I mean, it's deafening, the the cicadas and the the stuff, the music. And this donkey's thinking, I want to make music. Being clever and industrious, it's it's studies. It decides to make a study of how that happens. So it goes around and studies it. Oh, that's how they do it. They drink dewdrops. They eat too. So he studied that, and after he really could see the method, this uh, industrious donkey started licking dewdrops. Not just ten, hundreds, thousands of them. Then it was ready to make music. (laughs) And you know what happened. (laughs) And then I'm thinking, why did he tell me that? I blotted it out for years until Tanisra told me, that's important. And little by little, these two stories are so beautiful. I'm learning to love this little donkey that's always wanting to be someone else and then not realizing we have to find our own sound from this body. Yes, the practice is very important, and we, we, we study, we practice, and we will get there. But it's not a question of making ourselves somebody else. This body, these moods, these challenges and obstructions, and we, we find our sound. We find our way, you know, uh, patiently. So I you know, feel, feel uh, blessed to have encountered the Buddhist teaching, wonderful teachers, to be 
be given the opportunity to keep practicing and you are helping me keep practicing because I can't sit here and talk if I'm not trying to do it. And we have this good fortune uh, to have heard and to something in us recognizes and to align with that. But I encourage us just to be really patient, not giving up, however many times we fall down. And knowing, ah, that's just the way it is. So I offer these words first to contemplate uh, this evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.